UMC is home to our region's only level one trauma center. On August 3rd, 2019, we were ready and we cared for all trauma victims who were brought to us. Just like on that day, we are ready today to provide the best care in our region to keep our El Paso, El Paso strong. My son, TJ, and I were very, very close. I call him my little best friend. That was my ride or die. We did everything together. Lakeisha Washington tried to do what was best for her son, Terrence Kennard Jr. That's why the Florida mom agreed to let the teen live with his father halfway across the country in El Paso, Texas. But it was very hard. It was, it was a huge sacrifice to send him to El Paso. A mom's sacrifice that ended with her son's death. Patrol units arrived and found the uh, victim had sustained multiple gunshot wounds and was deceased on the scene. Now, Lakeisha and Terrence Sr. are left mourning TJ, and they're also still wondering who murdered the 20-year-old son, father, and budding rapper. I feel like it was a setup for my son to die. And my thing is, if you know the why, then you know the who. I'm Stephanie Valle with the unsolved murder of Terrence Kennard Jr. in this episode of Borderland Crimes. We begin tonight with breaking news. Police are searching for the person responsible for killing a 20-year-old man overnight. Police say 20-year-old Terrence Lamont Kennard was shot. Who killed Terrence Kennard Jr. and why? Police have not said what may have led up to that shooting, and officers are still searching for the suspected shooter. Those questions have remained unanswered since his murder, January 26, 2019. A friend of the Kennard family reached out to me. She wanted to see if I could bring attention to the case. She put me in touch with Terrence's mom, Lakeisha Washington. Lakeisha lives in Jacksonville, Florida. We spoke in a video chat for well over an hour about her son, Terrence Jr. He was a very strong individual um, and very friendly. He was, <laughs> he get that from me, he was too friendly. Uh, he trusted the wrong people, you know, in the end it, it bit him, you know, and that's the way I feel about it. What Lakeisha told me about her son, whom she called TJ for short, revealed a steady escalation of troubling moments in the months before his murder. But Lakeisha also described her son's loving side. And he would say, uh, Mom, you think, you know, I'm a good dad? I say, yeah, you're a great dad. TJ had two kids, a daughter and a son. That was very important to him. He was a joy to be around. My son would give anybody the shirt off his back, the underwear on his behind. Uh, he um, was much like me um, in that he gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. It didn't matter who it was. He always gave them the benefit of the doubt. And he, he hated to be around people that um, picked on other people or hurt other people. He didn't like to see other people hurt. So he was an all-around good guy. He really was. 
Lakeisha tells me she chose her outfit specifically for our interview. She was wearing a blue t-shirt with an image of her son as a young adult. In it, TJ was wearing a white hooded sweatshirt, and his dreadlocks with bleached tips hung down past his ears, almost reaching the dark goatee on his chin. TJ was looking directly at the camera, his mouth partly open, as if he were speaking. My son was always very, very honest. Anything that you ask him, he's going to give you the honest truth, you know. Um, and I really, really admired that about him. Uh, TJ just had, he had his own mind. He just had his own mind and he was not a troubled child. While we talked, Lakeisha gestured behind her to a wall in her living room. Between two windows with green drapes was a memorial to her son. A framed professional photo of TJ hung on the wall. His facial expression was peaceful. He was sitting down, leaning forward. He donned a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball jersey. His dreads were in ponytails atop his head. Stenciled on the wall in black letters around the photo were the words, live and love life to the fullest. That was my son. And if he had anything to tell me, I believe that would be it. My son and I have always had very, very um, open communication. Almost to prove that point, she showed me videos of their conversations. She had saved them on her phone. All I could see and hear was TJ. I love you too, Mama. Miss you more. These intimate moments captured a young man letting his guard down with his mom. Your boy about to be 20 in two days, Mama. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting a little old. Now, how you feel? How your day going? He was a good boy. He was a mama's boy. That's actually what's on my shirt. At 16 years old, TJ moved away from his mom in Florida to El Paso. His dad, Terrence Sr., had been stationed at Fort Bliss. The Army post butts up against El Paso city limits. Lakeisha said it was a difficult but necessary decision for both of them to make. Coming to El Paso to him was scary, but he knew that, you know, he knew that he, he wanted to see something different. Um, a lot of his friends here in Jacksonville were um, being shot and killed. Um, it was some uh, small gang activity here. Uh, in Jacksonville, and he went to school with those guys. They were his friends, and I just got tired of taking him to funerals every weekend. He, he asked me, can he, you know, move with his dad? Um, I told him it was very hard because uh, he was, my oldest son had gone to college, and uh, he was the only one home. And my son, TJ, and I were very, very close. I call him my little best friend. That was my ride or die. We did everything together. But it was very hard. It was, it was a huge sacrifice to send him to El Paso. But TJ seemed to adjust well. He immersed himself at his new school, Chapin High, which is close to the Army Post in Northeast El Paso. Lakeisha said he got good grades, and he played football and baseball. TJ graduated from Chapin in 2016, and like I mentioned, he later became the father to a boy and a girl. 
Lakeisha said he also pursued higher education. He was in college there at UTEP and wanted to um, do music. Uh, he told me, Mom, you know, I want to make my own decisions and follow my dreams. And I told him, OK, you know, um, I wasn't going to take that away from him because I was the same way, you know, and I understood what he was talking about. But music was his passion, and I can't blame him for that because he grew up around music. Um, I sing, my sister sing, my sisters um, sing, we sing together. I'm about to go to the studio, make some music. Lakeisha told me her son wanted to be a music producer, but TJ also enjoyed performing. He called himself T. Kaiser the Dummy. And fair warning, some of his songs have explicit language and racial slurs. That song is called With It. The music video is posted on YouTube. Part of it was shot in downtown El Paso. At times, T. Kaiser is rapping in front of the alligator sculpture in the middle of a warmly lit San Jacinto Plaza. But the song itself is dark. T. Kaiser raps about selling drugs, carrying guns, and violent disputes. And those themes carried over into other songs like Spaz. In that video, T. Kaiser's holding what looks like a semi-automatic weapon, occasionally pointing it at the camera. I look at the friends that he had, I look at the videos that he had, and I'm not gonna lie, they scared me. Um, because I was like, who is this person? My son did not grow up around drugs. Let me just say that. Um, he, I know that a lot of his friends probably thought that he grew up in the mud. He had a very good life. What he rapped about is what people wanted to hear. So I, I can't blame him for wanting to follow his dreams. Because he started out with gospel rap. It kind of turned differently when he went to UTEP. I think that a lot of people um, took the entertainer him and thought that it was really the person him. And it was not. My son was more than his music. He was much more than his music. To Lakeisha, there is a clear division between her son, the performer, and who she knew him to be. And this was a point she brought up repeatedly during our conversation and in different ways. Lakeisha doesn't want T. Kaiser the dummy to overshadow TJ the person. He was very spoiled. His mother and his father did everything for him. And I just want people to know that. Um, just because someone is rapping or making music about a subject doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that's that person's identity. I think that a lot of people misunderstood that. 
And she doesn't want TJ's faults and his choices to define him now that he's dead. I want to remember that you know, he was a good, he really was a good boy, you know, and everybody's not perfect. But she did acknowledge that TJ was getting into trouble the longer he stayed in El Paso. In May of 2018, TJ, who was 19 years old at the time, was arrested after a shooting. I know a lot of things that he did not tell me, um, tried to just spare me, not wanting to disappoint me. Lakeisha told me she demanded to know what was going on. He told me straight up, Mom, um, somebody was shooting at me, and I shot back at them. And that, that was the end of that. And I believe his word. Um, I believe what he said to be true. I don't think that he was standing in my face and lie to me. Um, so he went, you know, to jail for his actions. Um, and he was ready to, you know, suffer the consequences. Lakeisha said she and TJ's dad bailed him out of the El Paso County Jail after a week. The court records I found online show TJ pleaded guilty to aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and of engaging in organized criminal activity in December of 2018. And when he was in court, my son was very adamant when the judge asked him about anybody else. His reply was, I'm here for me. I'm not here for X, Y, and Z. I'm here for me. I was wrong. He admitted that he was wrong. And he will accept the consequences of whatever, you know, his punishment was. He was sentenced to seven years probation and community service. For the young people around there to try to bash my son's name and say that he was, a, he was not a snitch. That was another issue that she brought up several times during our conversation. Lakeisha defended her son from rumors that he was passing information to police. Shortly after he had been arrested, Lakeisha told me that TJ was hit by a car. That happened in the summer of 2018. You know, I talked to him. Why would they run you over the car? He said, Mom, I was trying to... Um, push one of my friends out the way, and the car hit me. That's what he told me. And from my understanding and other witnesses, that was true. Um, but me being a mom, I told him, I said, that wasn't a mistake. He wouldn't tell the police who ran him over with the car. Um, he would not tell the police. And uh, this is crazy. It's, it's really crazy because I told him, I said, you know, okay, somebody was shooting at you and you shot back. Somebody ran you over with a car. They um, chipped his teeth and they ran over his legs. So he was having uh, pain in his legs. Um, I said, son, somebody is out to hurt you. That, that me as a mom, you know, you know. She told her son, Warning comes before destruction. A warning comes before destruction. Whoever ran you over with this car, they could want to take your life.
TJ was awaiting the outcome of the shooting case when he visited his mom in Florida with his girlfriend and daughter for Thanksgiving 2018. It was the first time Lakeisha had seen her son in almost two years. He was still that same loving boy when he came home for Thanksgiving. It didn't matter that his baby mom was sitting here. His baby was sitting in her lap. My son was in my lap. And that's the type of child that he was. That's the type of child that he was. Um, and we were, we were really close. We were really close. Um, he sat in my lap and went to sleep. And I'm just so grateful to God that he gave us that time. You know, uh, my son came home for about a, a week. And it was like the prodigal son is home. During that visit, TJ told Lakeisha he wanted to return to Florida. She didn't know it would be the last time she would see him alive. I dropped him off to the airport. I cried <laughs> for like, oh God, it was so long. I cried for like an hour and a half. I couldn't even get out of the car. And it was more of a grief cry. Deep down in me, I knew that I wouldn't see my son again. I cried so bad. Uh, You would have thought somebody had died that day. Just to hear my son say, Mom, I want to come home. You know, and me knowing that he had to go to court and finalize everything. If he did not have to go to court, my son would have never went back to El Paso. I would not have never ever allow him to come back. I even offered for his baby mother and the baby to come stay here. I didn't care because I felt like everything was kind of going south uh, with the plan of why he was there. But the plans for TJ to return to Florida didn't materialize. And two months later, TJ was dead. Minutes before midnight on Friday, January 26, 2019, someone called police about hearing gunshots in a northeast El Paso neighborhood. When officers arrived, they found a man dead lying on the sidewalk outside a house. He had been shot several times. I still couldn't, like, believe it. I still was numb. Like, I couldn't believe that he was dead. Uh, uh, murder, uh, transit. I like to use the word that he transitioned. TJ's father, Terrence Kennard Sr., learned what happened to his son later that night. Terrence and I met at a park near his apartment in northeast El Paso in order to maintain social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic, so you may occasionally hear a car drive by. We started talking about things that remind him of his son, and he gestured to some kids running through the playground nearby. Seeing his kids definitely triggered. I was in a situation one time where I got myself in um, some uh, almost a little bit of trouble, I guess I would say, and he like was holding me like he was my daddy, hugging me like, uh, "Pops, everything gonna be all right. It's gonna be okay. Don't worry about it." And um, so he was just a, a loving person, you know, looked out for, tried to look out for everybody. 
And um, that, that's probably the most vivid memory that I have of him often. Terrence told me that minutes after the shooting, the mother of TJ's daughter called him. She was hysterical. She was screaming. I couldn't understand nothing she was saying. And I'm like, slow down. But, because, you know, when you hear something like that, you actually don't think it's true. So I'm like, did you just say he's dead? And then she was like, they shot him, they shot him. I'm like, who is they? Then I kind of like ran out of the house hysterical, forgot that I didn't have no clothes or nothing like, you know, I wasn't dressed or anything. I just jumped up and started running downstairs to run out the house to try to find out where it happened at because she didn't know um, where it happened. She had just got a call saying that he had been murdered, he had been shot. Frantic and panicked, Terrence jumped in his car. As he was heading to TJ's home, he got a text with the location of the shooting. He drove up right to the crime scene. When I got there, I got detained because when I tried to go, they had a big area roped off. And so when I, the way my GPS took me, I tried to go and then they had it blocked off and they said, no, you know, nobody can go in. I work for the city in Jacksonville, so I know there's always different ways to get in different areas. So I wanted to see for myself. So I went around to a back street where I was able to get a little closer. I parked the vehicle and I got out and I just tried to run to where he was at. Um, I never got to see him on the scene. Like I said, I got um, detained. They put me down and then they put me in the back of the car and held me there for six hours. The scene Terrence describes is disturbing and hard to fathom. A distraught parent who is singularly focused on finding out what happened to their child forced into a police car. But that's what he remembers about that night. Terrence tells me he understood that police didn't know who he was and that officers were concerned he could have stormed into the murder scene. He knew they were trying to protect him and the evidence. But either way, Terrence was in the back of a squad car as he pleaded with officers to give him information. I just wanted to know if that was my son or not. Uh, and of course, when it very first happened, they couldn't say yes or no. So I'm giving them identifying marks, like he has a tattoo here, he has a tattoo there. Um, they call him TK, you know, but we call him TJ, giving him his name, date of birth. I'm giving them all the information, and some people was verifying it. Some people, you know, didn't answer at all. Um, so they wasn't saying too much. While Terrence argued with El Paso police at the crime scene in Jacksonville, Florida, Lakeisha was awakened by a phone call from her ex-husband's wife. I looked down, I answered the phone, and I remember her saying, calling my name, she said, Keisha. And I was like, yes, you know, already upset because it's early in the morning, this can't be, an, this can't be good news. She called me like three or four times, she kept saying Keisha. And I'm like, yes, Keisha. I'm like, just spit it out, say what you got to say, you know. You know, don't scare me like that. Just just spit it out. She said, TJ was shot. And I'm like, okay, you said he was shot. And, you know, not to be blunt or nasty to her, but I want to know. But she told me that she don't think he made it. 
I told her to call me back when she found something out. So my first thought was to call his baby, his, his, his daughter's mother. I called her, you know, I said, Paris, you know, is it true? Did TJ get shot? She said, yes, ma'am. That's how she kept saying was yes, ma'am. Paris, is TJ alive? She said, no, ma'am. They told me that he wasn't. And I fell on the floor because it was like the life just was not out of me. And I just started wailing. Because as a parent, when you think you're doing the best thing for your child, and you get a call like that, that is like the worst thing in the world. I don't know, it's like, I really haven't been right since. Just weeks before, she had undergone a double mastectomy for breast cancer and was still recovering. I lost one of my breasts. I had to go flat on one side. Um, had to go through getting a expander in there, which they fill it up and blow it up until it can is able to take an implant. I went through a lot of things without my son. You know, I could I could remember even telling God at that time, you know, you saved me. Where's the victory of you saving me from this surgery that I had? That I was in hours and hours and hours. Oh, I think it was over six hours of surgery. You saved me from that, but you took my son the next day after I found out I was cancer free. I didn't even get a chance to tell my son that the cancer was gone. Terrence Sr., meantime, was dealing with another set of woes. Terrence told me he wasn't allowed to see and identify his son. So when I went down to the morgue, they had the wrong social security number in the system. Um, so I got an argument with, with those people down there. Well, I ain't gonna say the morgue, I guess the across from um, um, Jefferson were, High School. Yeah, yeah, it's the county the medical examiner. Yeah, the county medical examiner's office. Mm -hmm. So it was like the wrong social, so I didn't get to see him down there. But they said he was positively identified. And I was like, how? Y'all had the wrong information. So how was he positively identified? He had been arrested before. So they said they did it off the fingerprints. But when I'm giving them my information, my information wasn't matching with their information. So my, I, my question still was, how are you positively identifying him? Why can't I lay eyes on him? But I never got to, they never allowed me to lay eyes on him. His parents didn't see TJ's body until he was at an El Paso funeral home. That's where he was being prepared to be sent back home to Florida for burial. And I couldn't do nothing but pray. Um, I called my auntie to pray for me. I felt like I was really gonna lose it. Um, just walking in that door I was hoping so much that there was it was just a mis-ID and it wasn't my son. Maybe he's missing. But when he opened the door and I saw my son laying up there, I was so hurt that somebody 
could just take his life the way that they did. I was just hurt. I was hurt. And all I could do was pray. Amen. All I could do was pray for sanity. Um, that's a hurtful thing to see something that you've birthed uh, laying up there in bond and stiff. I would say, as a parent, um, you never think about burying your child. I'm 45 years old, so of course I done experienced death. And um, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in life. And this is a pain that I wouldn't want anybody to have. Their pain remains just as intense as the day TJ was murdered. More than a year and a half has passed without an arrest. First thing we did, I asked his dad to take me by the house uh, on Whitney to show me where my son was killed. I just couldn't believe it. How small the yard was, for one. How the the sidewalk is right in the front yard because the yard is so small. And I'm like, somebody had to see something. He was invited to a party in which he said he wasn't going to, said he wasn't going to go to the party. And certain people that are supposed to be his friends, friends, more than one, kept asking him to go to the party, to go to the party, to go to the party, to go to the party. And he never made it. Went to the party and died. And he wasn't by himself when he went to that party. So um, it's video, so I can talk about that. When they were going to the party, it's a video in the, with them riding in the vehicle. So he was with three other people. Why would you, why would you lead your friend into harm's way? That, that's my question. We have four or five people die a day here in Jacksonville. And for my son to end up one in El Paso who only had 23 deaths in a year, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand that. And my thing is, if you know the why, then you know the who. If, if, if you're able to talk about why it happened, then you know who did it. I asked El Paso police repeatedly for an interview about this case, but the spokesman declined. He said the detectives couldn't talk to me about an open investigation. However, Detective John Armendariz discussed the case in a video that was produced for Crime Stoppers of El Paso. That's a nonprofit that works with the community, law enforcement, and the media to solve crimes. Join me as we take a look inside the open cases of the El Paso Police Department's homicide unit. El Paso PD sent that video to local news stations at the beginning of September. Detective Armendariz said on the night of the shooting, TJ was going with friends to a house party. We have witnesses that explained that uh, when the victim arrived, they bypassed where the party was, so they kind of walked past the, the, the scene where the party would be. But for the first time, police publicized information about 
who they believe is responsible for TJ's murder. It's not much, but it's more than they had ever said before. Was speaking to two individuals that we know of, um, and we suspect that these two individuals are our shooters. Um, some kind of exchange happened where uh, a weapon was brandished and Mr. Kennard was fatally shot. So we know that there was more people uh, that were present during the time that uh, this incident took place. Uh, and uh, we need the public's help in at least identifying some witnesses so we can keep this investigation moving forward and to bring some closure to uh, Mr. Kennard's family. I got to believe that they will be brought to justice. I have no choice but to believe that. Terrence told me he checks in with police about the investigation at least once a month. Even though his family from Florida and his church community in El Paso are supporting him through his grief, he feels like he is the only one here who is advocating for his son. And that's why I feel like I can't leave here. Like, I feel like I can't leave Because if I do leave, then the case is going to die. And nobody's going to pursue it. And his dad always said, you know, my namesake. It, hurt, it broke me down. It hurt me so bad because he's never been the type to express himself around people. I need the El Paso police to know that this man keep coming to you because that was his son. You know, and I want someone to have some compassion or sympathy to understand if it was my child, I would do the same thing and not just look at him as, oh, here he go again. You know, this man won't answers. And Lakeisha's frustration burned through my computer screen despite being more than 1,600 miles away in Florida. I feel like some of his friends are really trying to set my son up. And that, that's just what I feel. I'll say it over and over again. Um, because the guy that hit him with a car was once his friend. And there's another thing. She thinks her son's music has clues about his troubles. He talked about somebody threatening him. He talked about, you know, somebody wanted, wanted him to die. Out here get hectic, so I gotta keep my weapon. Bitch, niggas wanna test me. Little boy, stop flexing. Was TJ rapping about the two people he was talking to before he was shot? He talked about that a lot. Not just in one song, he talked about it in many songs. Bitch, I'm the plug, I'm selling these drugs and so And I just cannot conceive that nobody asked him, hey, TK, who you talking to? Oh, who you talking about? Somebody had to know who he was talking about. Lakeisha said TJ's friends have reached out to her to talk about what they've heard regarding who pulled the trigger that night. They told me that the boy that hit him with the car was going around, you know, telling everybody that he killed my son. She never disclosed any names to me, though. She urges them to call police, 
but isn't sure they've taken her advice. Lakeisha believes TJ was betrayed by those he trusted. I feel like it was a setup for my son to die. And that's just how I feel about it. Um, he was he was deceived, and that's that's just how I feel about the situation. You mentioned the that you talk to the portrait of your son every day. What do you what do you tell him? What do you talk about? It's a lot. All I heard my son saying was, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mama." He apologized to me. Um because I tried to warn him. I tried to tell him about friends. You know, we think friends are our friends and they're secretly our enemies. For days, that's all I heard him saying, I'm sorry, mama, I'm sorry. And by the third day, um, I was on my way to the funeral. I just heard my son crying out, mama you know, basically almost like he just realized that he was dead. Lately, it's been, I love you, mama. And, you know, I say back to the picture, I love you too. It sounds crazy, but sometimes I can look at his picture and it's so sad. Sometimes I can look at it and it's at peace. I told um, the young lady that reached out to you, she reached out to me and she said, I just have to do something. I told her, because I know my son, <laughs> he's gonna keep going to whoever he can until this is really resolved. He want justice, you know. Um, he, didn't, he did not deserve what he got. He, did, he just didn't deserve it. Police think someone at the party saw something. Both of TJ's parents agree, and hope, conscience, kicks in. The people that's responsible for this need to be held accountable. Do I wish death on them? I don't, because I wouldn't want their parents and their family and their friends to go through what me and my family is going through. But I do want them brought to justice. Put yourself in my son's shoes. Put your family member in my son's shoes. Put your loved one in my son's shoes. If it was your loved one, you would expect someone to come forward. Come forward and tell who, who did this execution. You would want, if it was you, you would not want your mother to constantly go through pain, the pain of knowing that someone hated their child so much that they took his life the way that they did. And who would want their, their mother or father, really, to go through that? You know, um, my son didn't deserve that. Lakeisha and Terrence don't deserve this either. 
They deserve justice for a son they cared about so much. They let him move across the country to live in El Paso with hopes of a safer life. They deserve justice for a son who had much to offer, not just as a musician and a friend, but also as a father to a little girl and a little boy. This is a pain that I wouldn't want anybody to have, even the people who shot my son. When this first happened, um, I was a uh, advocate for an eye for an eye. But since this has happened to me, I got kind of like a different outlook on it. My son deserved justice. My family and true friend, his family and true friends deserve justice and we deserve some type of closure. I just want them to know that they killed my son who was very loved. My son was very loved and my son was my best friend. My son was my biggest cheerleader. I've had to endure a lot of things without him. He was a joy. My son was a joy. I lost a lot, but nothing compares to losing my child. Nothing. I still can't conceive how I went from having two children to one. I cannot conceive that. It is not all the way registered. Um, and I have to keep it that way to keep my sanity. But I want them to know that they hurt me dearly. They took away a huge piece of my life, a huge chunk of my heart. I miss my son, you know, uh, every birthday, my birthday, his birthday, every holiday, my son called me. Um, he was very special. He was a special child. So that that's what they took away from me. You know, that, that was my son. He brought a lot of joy in my life, so much joy uh, in his short time here on earth. Um, and I'm very grateful to God that he allowed me to be his mom because he was really special. He was really special. I'd like to thank Lakeisha Washington and Terrence Kennard Sr. for sharing their stories about TJ. El Paso Police Detective John Armendariz described the two people who were last seen talking to TJ as black men. One was in his 30s, heavy set with a beard. The other was in his 20s, tall and skinny. They were seen leaving in a small gray four-door vehicle, maybe a Nissan or a Toyota. If you have any information, you can contact police at crimestoppersofelpaso.org. ABC7's Borderland Crimes is a podcast produced, written, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Our production manager is Chris Swan. 
Our special projects director is John McMinn. Leslie Engel is our content manager. And our news director is Brenda Deanda Swan. Another episode of Borderline Crimes is coming soon. Be sure to subscribe to get an update. UMC is home to our region's only level one trauma center. On August 3rd, 2019, we were ready and we cared for all trauma victims who were brought to us. Just like on that day, we are ready today to provide the best care in our region to keep our El Paso, El Paso strong.